Section ten of Red Men and White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Red Men and White by Owen Wister. Section ten. La Tinaja Bonita. Part one. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. First Kings seventeen seven. A pretty girl was kneeling on the roof of a flat mud cabin, a harvest of red peppers round her knees. On the ground below her stood a swarthy young man, the bloom on his Mexican cheeks rich and dusky like her own. His face was irresponsible and winning, and his watching eyes shone upon her with admiration and desire. She on the roof was entertained by her visitor's attention, but unfavorable to it. Through the livelong sunny day she had parried his love-talk with light and complete skill, enjoying herself, and liking him very well as she had done since they were two children playing together in the Arizona desert. She was quite mistress of the situation, because she was a woman and he as yet merely a boy. He was only twenty-two. She was almost sixteen. The Mexican man at twenty-two may be as experienced as his northern brother of thirty, but at sixteen the Mexican woman is also mature and can competently deal with the man. So this girl had relished the thoughtless morning and noon as they passed, but twice lately she had glanced across the low treetops of her garden down the trail where the canyon descended to the silent plain below. I think I must go back now, said the young man, not thinking so. He had a guitar from the cabin. Oh said she, diverted by his youthful faint. Well, if you think it is so late. She busied herself with the harvest. Her red handkerchief and strands of her black hair had fallen loosely together from her head to her shoulders. The red peppers were heaped thick, hiding the whole roof, and she stooped among them, leveling them to a ripening layer with buckskin gloves, for peppers sting sharper than mustard sorting and turning them in the bright sun. The boy looked at her most wistfully. "'It is not precisely late, yet,' said he. "'To be sure not,' she assented, consulting the sky. "'We have still three hours of day.' He brightened as he lounged against a water-barrel. "'But after night it is so very dark on the trail to camp,' he insincerely objected. I never could have believed you were afraid of the dark. It is for the horse's legs, Lolita. Of course I fear nothing. Bueno! I was sure of it. Do you know, Luis, you have become a man quite suddenly. That moustache will be beautiful in a few years, and you have a good figure. I am much heavier than last year, said he. My arm! I can see, I can see. I am not sure I shall let you kiss me any more. You didn't offer to when you came this morning, and that shows you men perceive things more quickly than we can. But don't go yet. You can lead your horse. 
His legs will come to no harm, eased of your weight. I should have been lonely to-day, and you have made it pass so quickly. You have talked so much that my peppers are not half spread. We could finish them in five minutes together, said the youth, taking a step. Two up here among all these peppers? Oh, no, Luis! We should tread on them, and our ankles would burn all night. If you want to help me, go bring some fresh water. The barrel is almost empty. But Luis stood ardently gazing up at the roof. Very well, then, said Lolita. If you like this better, finish the peppers, and I'll go for the water. Why do you look down the trail so often? said the baffled love-maker, petulantly. Because Uncle Ramon said the American would be coming to-day, the girl replied softly. Was it Uncle Ramon said that? He told you that? Why not? She shaded her eyes and looked where the canyon's widening slit gave view of a slant of sand merging fan-spread into a changeless waste of plain. Many watercourses, crooked and straight, came out of the gaps, creasing the sudden sierra, descending to the flat through bushes and leaning margin trees. But in these empty shapes not a rill tinkled to refresh the silence, nor did a drop slide over the glaring rocks, or even dampen the heated, cheating sand. Lolita strained her gaze at the dry distance, and stooped again to her harvest. "'What does he come here for?' demanded Luis. "'The American? We buy white flour of him sometimes.' "'Sometimes? That must be worth his while. He will get rich.' Luis lounged back against his water-barrel, and was silent. As he watched Lolita serenely working, his silver crescent earrings swung a little with the slight tilting of his head, and his fingers, forgotten and unguided by his thoughts, ruffled the strings of the guitar, drawing from it gay, purposeless tendrils of sound. Occasionally, when Lolita knew the song, she would hum it on the roof, inattentively, busy rolling her peppers. Soy purita mexicana, nada tengo español. I am a pure Mexican, I have nothing Spanish about me. And this melodious inattention of Lolita's, Luis felt to be the extreme of slight. Have you seen him lately? he asked sourly. Not very, not since the last time he came to the mines from Maricopa. I heard a man at Gunsight say he was dead, snapped Luis. But she made no sign. That would be a pity, she said, humming gaily. Very sad. Uncle Ramon would have to go himself to Maricopa for that white flower. Pleased with this remark, the youth took to song himself, and there they were like two mischievous birds. Only the bird on the ground was cross with a sense of failure. El Telele Samurio, he sang. The hunchback is dead, ay, 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 and no one could be found to bury him except— Luis, aren't you going to get my water for me? Poco tiempo. I'll bring it directly. You have to go to the Tinaja Bonita for it. The pretty spring, or water-hole, or tank, was half a mile from the cabin. Well, it's not nice out there in the sun. 
I like it better in here, where it is pleasant. And no one could be found to bury him except five dragoons and a corporal and the sacristan's cat. Singing resentfully, young Luis stayed in here, where it was pleasant. Bright green branches of fruit trees and small cottonwoods and a fenced irrigated square of green-growing garden hid the tiny adobe home like a nut, smooth and hard and dry in their clustered midst. The lightest air that could blow among these limber, ready leaves set going at once their varnished tinkling round the house. Their white and dark sides gleamed and went out with chasing lights that quickened the torpid place into a holiday of motion. Closed in by this cool green, you did not have to see or think of Arizona just outside. "'Where is Uncle Ramon to-day?' inquired Luis, dropping his music. She sighed. "'He has gone to drive our cattle to a new spring. There is no pasture in the Tanaja Bonita. Our streams and ditches went dry last week. They have never done so in all the years before. I don't know what is going to happen to us.' The anxiety in the girl's face seemed to come outward more plainly for a moment and then recede to its permanent abiding-place. There cannot be much water to keep flower-sellers alive on the trail to Maricopa, chirped the bird on the ground. She made no answer to this. What are you doing nowadays? she asked. I have been working very hard on the wood contract for the American soldiers, he replied promptly. By Tucson? No, Huachuca. Away over there again? I thought you had cut all they wanted last May. It is of that enterprise of which I speak, Lolita. But it's October now. Lolita lifted her face, ruddy with stooping, and broke into laughter. I do not see why you mock me. No one has asked me to work since. Have you asked anyone for work? It is not my way to beg. Luis. I don't believe you're quite a man yet, in spite of your mustache. You complain there's no money for Mexicans in Arizona because the Americans get it all. Why don't you go back to Sonora, then, and be rich in five minutes? It would sound finely. Luis Romero, merchant Hermosillo. Or perhaps gold would fall more quickly into your lap at Guayamas. You would live in a big house, perhaps with two stories, and I would come and visit you at Easter, if your wife would allow it. Here Lolita threw a pepper at him. The guitar grated a few pretty notes. Otherwise there was silence. And it was Uncle Ramon persuaded them to hire you in May. He told the American contractor you owned a strong burrow, good for heavy loads. He didn't say much about you added the little lady. Much good it did me. The American contractor pig retained my wages to pay for the food he supplied us. They charge you extra for starvation, those gringos. They are all pigs. Ah, Lolita, a man needs a wife so he may strive to win a home for her. I have heard men say that they needed a home before they could strive to win a wife for it. But you go about it the other way. 
I am not an American pig, I thank the Virgin. I have none of their gringo customs. You speak truly indeed, murmured Lolita. It is you who know about them, the boy said, angry like a child. He had seen her eye drawn to the trail again, as by a magnet. They say you prefer gringos to your own people. Who dares say that? The elated Luis played loudly on the guitar. He had touched her that time. But Lolita's eyes softened at the instant of speaking, and she broke into her sweet laugh. There, she said, recapturing the situation, is it not like old times for you and me to be fighting? Me? I am not fighting. You relieve me. I do not consider a gringo worth my notice. Sensible boy, you speak as wisely as one who has been to school in a large city. Luis, do you remember the day Uncle Ramon locked me up for riding on the kicking burrow, and you came and unlocked me when Uncle was gone? You took me walking and lost us both in the mountains. We were only a little, little way from home. But I thought we had got into another country where they eat children. I was six and I beat you for losing me and cried, and you were big and you kissed me till I stopped crying. Do you remember? No. Don't you remember? I don't remember child's tricks. Luis, I have come to a conclusion. You are still young enough for me to kiss quite safely. Every time you fight with me, I shall kiss you. Won't you get me some fresh water now? He lounged, sulky, against his barrel. Come, querido, must I go all that way myself? Well, then, if you intend to stand and glare at me till the moon rises. Ah! He moves! Luis laid the guitar gradually down, and gradually lifted a pail in which the dipper rattled with emptiness. He proceeded to crawl on his journey. You know, that is not the one we use, muchacho, little boy, remarked Lolita. Keep your kisses for your gringo, the water-carrier growled with his back to her. I shall always save some for my little cousin. The pail clattered on the stones, and the child stopped crawling. She on the roof stared at this performance for an open-mouthed moment, gloves idle among the spicy peppers. Then, laughing, she sprang to her feet, descended, and, catching up the water-jar, the olla de agua, overtook him, and shook it in his face with the sweetest derision. Now we'll go together, said she, and started gaily through the green trees in the garden. He followed her, two paces behind, half ashamed, and gazing at her red handkerchief and the black hair blowing a little. Thus did they cross the tiny, cool home acre through the twinkling pleasantness of the leaves, and pass at once outside the magic circle of irrigation into Arizona's domain, among a prone herd of carcasses upon the ground. Dead cattle, two seasons dead now, hunted to this sanctuary by the drought, killed in the sanctuary by cold water. A wise, quiet man with a man's will may sometimes, after three days of thirst, still hold grip enough upon his slipping mind to know, when he has found the water, 
that he must not drink it, must only dampen his lips and tongue in a drop-by-drop fashion until he has endured the passing of many slow, insidious hours. Even a wise man had best have a friend by his side then, who shall fight and tear him from the perilous excesses that he craves, knock him senseless if he cannot pin him down. But cattle know nothing of drop-by-drop, and you cannot pin down a hundred head that have found water after three days. So these hundred had drunk themselves swollen and died. Cracked hide and white bone they lay, brown, dry, gaping humps straddled stiff askew in the last convulsion, and over them presided Arizona, silent, vast, all sunshine everlasting. Luis saw these corpses that had stumbled to their fate, and he remembered. With Lolita in those trees all day, he had forgotten for a while. He pointed to the wide-strewn site, familiar, monotonous as misfortune. There will be many more, he said. Another rainy season is gone without doing anything for the country. It cannot rain now for another year, Lolita. God help us and our cattle and travelers, she whispered. Luis musingly repeated a saying of the country about the Tinaja Bonita. When you see the black cross dry, fill the wagon cisterns high. A doggerel in homely Spanish meter, unwritten mouth-to-mouth wisdom, stable as a proverb, enduring through generations of unrecorded wanderers that repeated it for a few years and passed beneath the desert. But the black cross has never yet been dry, Luis said. You have not seen it lately, said Lolita. Lolita, do you mean? He looked at her troubled eyes, and they went on in silence together. They left behind them the bones and the bald level on which they lay, and came to where the canyon's broader descent quickened until they sank below that side of the cattle and for a time below the home and trees. They went down steeply by cactus and dry rock to a meeting of several canyons opening from side-rifts in the Sierra, furrowing the main valley's mesa with deep watercourses that brought no water. Finding their way in this lumpy meeting-ground, they came upon the lurking-place of the Tenaja Bonita. They stood above it at the edge of a pitch of rock, watching the motionless crystal of the pool. "'How well it hides down there in its own canyon,' said Luis. "'How pretty and clear! But there's plenty of water, Lolita. Can you see the black cross?' "'Not from here.' They began descending around the sides of the crumbled slate rock face that tilted too steep for a foothold. "'The other well is dry, of course,' said Lolita. In the slaty, many-ledged formation a little lower down the canyon, towards the peep of outlying open country which the cloven hills let in, was a second round hole, twin of the first. Except after storms, water was never in this place, and it lay dry as a kiln nine-tenths of the year. But in size and depth and color, and the circular fashion of its shaft, which seemed man's rather than nature's design, it might have been the real Tinaja's reflection, 
conjured in some evil mirror where everything was faithfully represented except the water. It must have been a real well once, said Luis. Once, yes. And what made it go dry? Who knows? How strange it should be the lower well that failed Lolita. The boy and girl were climbing down slowly, drawing near each other as they reached the bottom of the hollow. The peep of open country was blocked, and the tall tops of the mountains were all of the outer world to be seen down here below the mesa's level. The silence was like something older than this world, like the silence of space before any worlds were made. "'Do you believe it ever can go dry?' asked Luis. They were now on the edge of the Tinaja. "'Father Raphael says that it is miraculous,' said the girl believingly. Opposite, and everywhere except where they were, the walls went sheer down, not slate-colored, but white, with a sudden upcropping formation of brick-shaped stones. These also were many-layered and crumbling, cracking off into the pool if the hand hung or the foot weighed on them. No safe way went to the water but at this lower side, where the riven, tumbled white blocks shelved easily to the bottom, and Luis and Lolita looked down these natural stairs at the portent in the well. In that white formation shot up from the earth's bowels, arbitrary and irrelevant amid the surrounding alien layers of slate, four black stones were lodged as if built into the wall by some hand four small stones shaping a cross, back against the white, symmetrical and plain. "'It has come farther, more uncovered since yesterday,' Lolita whispered. "'Can the Tinaja sink altogether?' repeated Luis. The arms of the cross were a measurable space above the water-line, and he had always seen it entirely submerged. "'How could it sink?' said Lolita simply, it will stop when the black stones are wholly dry. You believe, Father Raphael, Luis said, always in a low voice, but it was only Indians, after all, who told the mission fathers at the first. That was very long ago, said she, and there has always been water in the Tinaja Bonita. Boy and girl had set the jar down, and forgotten it, and why they had come. Luis looked uneasily at the circular pool, and up from this creviced middle of the canyon to the small high tops of the mountains rising in the free sky. This is an evil place, he said. As for the water, no one, no three, can live long enough to be sure. But it was part of Lolita's religion. I am sure, said she. The young Mexican's eyes rested on the face of the girl beside him, more beautiful just then with some wave of secret fear and faith. "'Come away with me, Lolita,' he pleaded suddenly. "'I can work. I can be a man. It is fearful for you to live here alone.' "'Alone, Luis?' His voice had called her from her reverie back to her gay, alert self. Do you consider Uncle Ramon nobody to live with? Yes, nobody, for you. Promise me never to tell that to Uncle. 
He is so considerate that he might make me marry somebody for company. And then, you know, my husband would be certain to be stupid about your coming to see me, Carido. Why do you always mock me, Lolita? Mock you? What a fancy! Oh, see how the sun's going. If we do not get our water, your terrible Tanaja will go dry before supper. Come, Luis, I carry the olla. Must I do everything? He looked at her disconsolate. Ah, he vibrated, reveling in deep imaginary passion. Go, go, she cried, pushing him. Take your olla. Upon the lightest passing puff of sentiment, the southern breast can heave with every genuine sentiment of storm except wreck. Of course she stirred his gregarious heart. Was she not lovely, and he twenty-two? He went down the natural stairs and came slowly up with the water, stopping a step below her. Lolita, he said, don't you love me at all? Not a very little? You are my dearest, oldest friend, Luis, she said, looking at him with such full sweetness that his eyes fell. But why do you pretend five beans make ten? Of course, they only make ten with gringos. She held up a warning finger. Oh, yes, oh, yes, strangers make fine lovers. With this he swelled to a fond, dangerous appearance and muttered, It is not difficult to kill a man, Lolita. Fighting? After what I told you? Lolita stooped and kissed her cousin Luis, and he instantly made the most of that chance. As often as you please, he said, as she released herself angrily, and then a stroke of sound struck their two hearts still. They jumped apart, trembling. Some of the rock-slide had rattled down and plunged into the Tinaja with a gulping resonance. Loitering strings of sand strewed after it, and the boys' and girls' superstitious eyes looked up from the ringed, waving water to the ledge. Lolita's single shriek of terror turned to joy as she uttered it. I thought, I thought you would not come, she cried out. The dismounted horseman above made no sign of understanding her words. He stepped carefully away from the ledge his foot had crumbled, and they saw him using his rifle like a staff, steadying its stock in successive niches, and so working back to his horse. There he slid the rifle into its leather sling along the left side of his saddle. "'So he is not dead,' murmured Luis, "'and we need not live alone.' "'Come down,' the girl called and waved her hand. But the newcomer stood by his horse like an apparition. "'Perhaps he is dead after all,' Luis said. "'You might say some of the mass, only he was a heretic.' But his horse is Mexican, and a believer. Lolita had no eyes or ears for Luis any more. He prattled away on the stone stairs of the Tinaja, flippant after a piercing shock of fear. To him, unstrung by the silence and the black cross and the presence of the sinking pool, the stone had crashed like a clap of sorcery, and he had started and stared to see not a spirit but a man dismounted from his horse with a rifle 
At that his heart clutched him like talons, and in the flashing spasm of his mind came a picture, smoke from the rifle, and himself bleeding in the dust. Costly love-making! For Luis did not believe the rifle to have been brought to the ledge there as a staff, and he thanked the Virgin for the stone that fell and frightened him, and made him move suddenly. He had chattered himself cool now, and ready. Lolita was smiling at the man on the hill, glowing without concealment of her heart's desire. "'Come down,' she repeated. "'Come round the side.' And, lifting the olla, she tapped it and signed the way to him. "'He has probably brought too much white flour for Uncle Ramon to care to climb more than he must,' said Luis. But the man had stirred at last from his sentinel stillness, and began leading his horse down. Presently he was near enough for Luis to read his face. "'Yargingo is a handsome fellow, certainly,' he commented. "'But he does not like me to-day.' "'Like you? He doesn't think about you,' said Lolita. "'Ha! That's your opinion. It is also his opinion, if you'll ask him.' "'He is afraid of Cousin Luis,' stated the youth. "'Cousin Grasshopper! He could eat you, if he could see you.' "'There are other things in this world besides brute muscle, Lolita. Your gringo thinks I am worth notice, if you do not.' "'How little he knows you!' "'It is you he does not know very well,' the boy said, with a pang. The scornful girl stared. "'Oh, the innocent one!' sneered Luis. "'Grasshopper, indeed!' Well, one man can always recognize another, and the women don't know much. But Lolita had run off to meet her chosen lover. She did not stop to read his face. He was here, and as she hurried towards him, she had no thought except that he was come at last. She saw his eyes and lips, and to her they were only the eyes and lips that she had longed for. "'You have come just in time,' she called out to him. At the voice he looked at her one instant and looked away, but the nearer sight of her sent a tide of scarlet across his face. His actions he could control, his bearing and the steadiness of his speech, but not the coursing of his blood. It must have been a minute he had stood on the ledge above, getting a grip of himself. Luis was becoming really afraid that he might have to do some work continued Lolita, coming up the stony hill. You know Luis. I know him. You can fill your two canteens and carry the olla for us, she pursued, arriving eagerly beside him, her face lifted to her strong, tall lover. I can. At this second chill of his voice, and his way of meeting her when she had come running, she looked at him bewildered, and the smile fluttered on her lips and left them. She walked beside him, talking no more, nor could she see his furtive other hand mutely open and shut, helping him keep his grip. Luis also looked at the man, who had taken Lolita's thoughts away from him, and all other men. No, indeed, he does not understand her very well, he repeated bitter at knowing the man's suspicion and its needlessness. Something, disappointment it may be, 
had wrought more reality in the young Mexican's easy-going love. And she likes this gringo because, because he is light-colored, he said, watching the American's bronzed Saxon face, almost as young as his own, but of sterner stuff. Its look left him no further doubt, and he held himself forewarned. The American came to the bottom, powerful, blue-eyed, his mustache golden, his cheek clean-cut, and beaten to shining health by the weather. He swung his blue overalled leg over his saddle and rode to the Tanaja, with a short greeting to the watcher, while the pale Lolita unclasped the canteen straps and brought the water herself, brushing coldly by Luis, to hook the canteens to the saddle again. This slighting touch changed the Mexican boy's temper to diversion and malice. Here were mountains from molehills. Here were five beans making ten with a vengeance. "'Give me that,' said the American, and Luis handed up the water-jar to him with such feline politeness that the American's blue eyes filled with fire and rested on him for a doubtful second. But Luis was quite ready and more diverted than ever over the suppressed violence of his Saxon friend. The horseman wheeled at once and took a smooth trail out to the top of the mesa, the girl and boy following. As the three went silent up the canyon, Luis caught sight of Lolita's eyes shining with the hurt of her lover's rebuff, and his face sparkled with further mischief. She has been despising me all day, he said to himself. Very well, very well. Signor Don Ruz, he began aloud, elaborately, we are having a bad drought. The American rode on, inspecting the country. I know at least four sorts of kisses, reflected the Mexican trifler, but there, very likely to me also, they would appear alike from the top of a rock. He looked the American over, the rifle under his leg, his pistol and his knife. How clumsy these gringos are when it's about a girl, thought Luis. Any fool could fool them. Now I should take much care to be friendly if ever I did want to kill a man in earnest. Comical gringo! Yes, very dry weather, Don Roos, and the rainy season gone. The American continued to inspect the country, his supple, flannel-shirted back hinting no interest in the talk. Water is getting scarce, Don Roos, persisted the gadfly, lighting again. Don Ramon's spring does not run now, and so we must come to the Tanaja Bonita, you see. Don Ramon removed the cattle yesterday. Everybody absent from home, except Lolita. Luis thought he could see his Don Ruz listening to that last piece of gossip, and his smile over himself and his skill grew more engaging. Lolita has been telling me all day that even the Tanaja will go dry. It was you said that, exclaimed the brooding, helpless Lolita. Uh, so I did, and it was you said no. Well, we found something to disagree about. The man in the flannel shirt was plainly attending to his tormentor. No sabe cuantos son cinco, Luis whispered, stepping close to Lolita. Your gringo 
could not say boo to a goose just now. Lolita drew away from her cousin, and her lover happened to turn his head slightly, so that he caught sight of her drawing away. "'But what do you say yourself, Don Rus?' inquired Luis, pleased at this slight coincidence. "'Will the Tanaja go dry, do you think?' "'I expect guessing won't interfere with the water's movements much,' finally remarked Don Rus. "'Russ Jensmere.' His drawl and the body in his voice were not much like the Mexican's light fluency. They were music to Lolita, and her gaze went to him once more, but he got no answer. The bitter Luis relished this, too. "'You are right, Don Rus. Guessing is idle. Yet how can we help wondering about this mysterious Tanaja? I am sure that you can never have seen so much of the cross out of the water.' Lolita says, "'So that's that place,' said Ginsmere, roughly. Luis looked inquiring. "'Down there,' Ginsmere explained, with a jerk of his head, back along the road they had come. Luis was surprised that Don Rus, who knew this country so well, should never have seen the Tenaja Bonita until today. "'I'd have seen it if I'd had any use for it,' said Ginsmere. To be sure, it lay off the road of travel, Luis assented. And, of course, Don Rus knew all that was needful, how to find it. He knew what people said, did he not? Father Raphael, Don Ramon, everybody? Lolita, perhaps, had told him? And that if the cross ever rose entirely above the water, that was a sign all other water-holes in the region were empty. Therefore it was a good warning for travellers, since by it they could judge how much water to carry on a journey. But certainly he and Lolita were surprised to see how low the Tanaja had fallen to-day. No doubt what the Indians said about the great underground snake that came and sucked all the wells dry in the lower country, and in consequence was nearly satisfied before he reached the Tanaja, was untrue. To this tale of Jesuits and peons the American listened with unexpressed contempt, caring too little to mention that he had heard some of it before, or even to say that in the last few days he had crossed the desert from Tucson and found water on the trail as usual where he expected. He rode on, leading the way slowly up the canyon, suffering the glib Mexican to talk unanswered. His own suppressed feelings still smoldered in his eye, still now and then knotted the muscles in his cheeks. But of Luis's chatter he said his whole opinion in one word, a single English syllable, which he uttered quietly for his own benefit. It also benefited Luis. He was familiar with that order of English, and overhearing he understood. It consoled the Mexican to feel how easily he could play this simple, unskillful American. They passed through the hundred corpses to the home and the green trees, where the sun was setting against the little shaking leaves. "'So you will camp here tonight, Don Ruth?' said Luis, perceiving the American's pack-mules. Jensmere had come over from the mines at Gunsight, found the cabin empty, and followed Lolita's and her cousin's trail, until he had suddenly seen the two from that ledge above the Tinaja. 
You are always welcome to what we have at our camp, you know, Don Ruz. All that is mine is yours also. Tonight it is probably frijoles. But no doubt you have white flour here. He was giving his pony water from the barrel, and next he threw the saddle on and mounted. I must be going back, or they will decide I am not coming till tomorrow, and quickly eat my supper. He spoke jauntily from his horse, arm akimbo, natty short jacket put on for to-day's courting, gray steeple-hat, silver embroidered, a spruce pretty boy, not likely to toil severely at wood-contracts so long as he could hold soul and body together and otherwise be merry, and the hand of that careless arm soft on his pistol, lest Don Rus should abruptly dislike him too much. For Luis contrived a tone for his small talk that would have disconcerted the most sluggish, sweet to his own mischievous ears, healing to his galled self-esteem. Good night, Don Rus. Good night, Lolita. Perhaps I shall come to-morrow. Manana an la manana. Good night, said Lolita harshly, which increased his joy. I cannot stop you from passing my house. Ginsmere said nothing, but sat still on his white horse, hands folded upon the horns of his saddle, and Luis, always engaging and at ease, ambled away with his song about the hunchback. He knew that the American was not the man to wait until his enemy's back was turned. El telele se murió a entrerar ya la lleven. The tin-pan Mexican voice was empty of melody and full of rhythm. Ay, ay, ay! Lolita and Gensmere stood as they had stood, not very near each other, looking after him and his gaiety that the sun shone bright upon. The minstrel truly sparkled. His clothes were more elegant than the American shirt and overalls, and his face luxuriant with thoughtlessness. Like most of his basking southern breed, he had no visible means of support, and nothing could worry him for longer than three minutes. Frijoles do not come high. Out of doors is good enough to sleep in, if you or your friend have no roof, and it is not a hard thing to sell some other man's horses over the border and get a fine coat and hat. Cinco dragones y un cabo, oh no, 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 y un gato de sacristan. Coat and hat were getting up the canyon side among the cactus, the little horse climbing the trail shrewdly with his lightweight rider, and dusty, unmusical Gensmere and sullen Lolita watched them till they went behind a bend, and nothing remained but the tin-pan song singing in Gensmere's brain. The gadfly had stung more poisonously than he knew, and still Lolita and Gensmere stood watching nothing, while the sun, the sun of Arizona at the day's transfigured immortal passing, became a crimson coal in a lake of saffron, burning and beating like a heart, till the desert seemed no longer dead but only asleep, and breathing out wide rays of rainbow color that rose expanded over earth and sky. Then Gensmere spoke his first volunteered word to Lolita. I didn't shoot because I was afraid of hitting you, he said. 
so now she too realized clearly. He had gone off his horse above the Tinaja to kill Luis during that kiss. Complete innocence had made her stupid and slow. "'Are you going to eat?' she inquired. "'Oh, yes. I guess I'll eat.' She set about the routine of firelighting and supper as if it had been Uncle Ramon, and this evening like all evenings. He, not so easily, and with small blunderings that he cursed, attended to his horse and mules, coming in at length to sit against the wall where she was cooking. "'It is getting dark,' said Lolita. So he found the lamp and lighted it, and sat down again. "'I've never hurt a woman,' he said presently. The vision of his rifle's white front sight held steady on the two below the ledge, once more flooding his brain. He spoke slowly. "'Then you have a good chance now,' said Lolita quickly, busy over her cooking. In her southern ears such words sounded a threat. It was not in her blood to comprehend this northern way of speaking and walking and sitting and being one thing outside and another inside. "'And I wouldn't hurt a woman,' he was hardly talking to her, "'not if I could think in time.' "'Men do it,' she said, with the same defiance. "'But it makes talk.' "'Talk's nothing to me,' said Gensmere, flaming to fierceness. Do I care for opinions? Only my own." The fierceness passed from his face, and he was remote from her again. Again he fell to musing aloud, changing from Mexican to his mother tongue. I wouldn't want to have to remember a thing like that. He stretched himself, and leaned his elbows on his knees and his head in his hands, the yellow hair hiding his fingers. She had often seen him do this when he felt lazy. It was not a sign by which she could read a spiritual standstill, a quivering wreck of faith and passion. I have to live a heap of my life alone, the lounger went on, journey alone, camp alone, me and my mules, and I don't propose to have thoughts a man should be ashamed of. Lolita was throwing a cloth over the table and straightening it. I'm twenty-five, and I've laid by no such thoughts yet. Church folks might say different. It is ready, said Lolita, finishing her preparations. End of section 10